Hey, welcome to the Sunday Morning Linux Review. This is episode 319. Happy New Year. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 2020. This is Tony Bemis. Phil Parada. And Tom Lawrence. And uh, I think it's been a month since we've sent, put December out a show. December 2nd, I believe, was the last post. So it is a month and a couple days. Holidays have gotten really busy for me. Yeah, December's a rough month. So in, in getting... Well, once again, getting four people to line up is really hard. That's why there's only three of us here. <laughs> so um, the schedules, we're, we're, we're always working on it, folks. Uh, thank you for being patient with us. Thank you for still subscribing. <laughs> Mind the bits. Yes. <laughs> I think Jay said he's still down with a cold or something, too, so yeah. he couldn't come. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, so with Christmas, uh, I didn't get much for Christmas, per se, other than after Christmas, then I'm like, you know, I want to set up one of those home automation systems. So I'm I'm messing around with the Mozilla web things, and that's the system I really want to run, except for I can't get the Zigbee dongle to work. I, I apparently bought the wrong one. Yeah, this is the uh, hardness of a more difficult challenge of doing it yourself versus I'm just going to buy an Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, what's cool about the, the Mozilla one is uh, it has uh, uh, voice recognition built into it. Oh, that's cool. So you don't have to pair it with uh, Alexa or, or Google Home to get the voice recognition to work. You can if you want, but you don't have to. So I bought this. Oh, I put it in my bag. I bought this uh, four mic array. It's really cool. Uh, and it's a Raspberry Pi hat, four mic array. Uh, and it's for uh, that, that exact thing that uh, it'll sit there in the room and you can talk to it. And it has little LEDs in a circle that will light up when it recognizes what you're saying. And then. Um, and then, you know, as it's thinking and then when it talks back to you, um, well, it doesn't have a mic or it doesn't have a speaker built into it, but it's really cool. It's a re-speaker. Is that what it's called? Yes. It's called the re-speaker four mic array for the Raspberry Pi. And the description says it's a quad microphone array expansion board um, designed for AI and voice applications. And it has uh, far field support up to three meters and grove support, whatever that means. Yeah, I don't know what grove support is. Uh, but if you dig a little bit on the different uh, Raspberry Pi or uh, the Mozilla Web Things uh, videos, there's one video that they have this paired in and running. Uh, there's a, a lady. I, now I don't remember her name, but she's a developer with uh, my, with Mozilla, and she gives uh, presentations on it. And uh, she there's there's two ways that you can use it, the voice with it. Is you can either use the microphone that's on the device that you have, so like a, a tablet or 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 your laptop or your phone that you're controlling your web of things with. Or you can have this sitting in uh, on a Raspberry Pi in your room somewhere and talk to it, kind of like you would like a Google Home. And um, But it's all processed locally. There's no going out to the web for it to work. Oh, that's really nifty. It is cool. They also do a reverse proxy. They give you a subdomain and... Oh. Uh, that it does a reverse proxy or tunnels down to your Raspberry Pi or your server that you're running your web things on. And uh, so you can connect to it from anywhere in the world. It creates, like, as you're setting that up, it goes through and uh, reaches out and connects to uh, Let's Encrypt and gets a cert and everything. Nice. Yeah. 
Very cool. I spend a whole bunch of time researching uh, different home automation things and deciding if I want to go Zigbee or Z-Wave. Mm. Uh, still haven't made a decision yet because it boiled down to, well, this gets really expensive really quick. Well, you don't have to decide. With, with these, it'll work with either way. Oh, you're, interesting. You're building the gateway. That's what we're doing here with, with the system. You're building the gateway, and you get little web dongles. And the one I got, like I said, I bought the wrong one. And that noise you guys heard was Tony has... sitting down the Raspberry Pi. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Tony uh, is the home automation himself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so the, the dongle that you buy, a little USB dongle, it um, the one I bought has both the uh, Zigbee and the Z-Wave uh, radios in it. But because it's it runs on what two point four gigahertz or something like that, and it's all wireless. Um, but apparently that one's not supported in Web of Things. But it is supported in OpenHab and uh, the Home Home Auto- Automation. Yeah, or Home Assistant. Sorry. Yeah, Home Assistant. Right. So I'm now I it, this morning I was messing around trying to get uh, OpenHab to to run on it, and it keeps on hanging in the middle of the install. So. I'm stuck at that point right now. Hmm. But the problem with HopenHab and uh, um, Home, the other one, Home Assistant, is if you want voice controls, you have to hook it to a Google Home or Alexa. If you go with Home Assistant, the only way to get that to work is if you have their like cloud uh, connection working, and you have to pay $5 a month for that. Uh, which, if you want to support the project, that's awesome. Uh, the open hab, you don't have to pay for that. You don't have a monthly fee for it. Um, but like I said, I, I'd rather go with the Google or the the Mozilla one because it has the local processing. You're yeah, not I like that. Reaching out to the cloud to do all that. Whatever happened to the uh, Mycroft project? Is you use that's still going? Is it and still I going? believe uh, Jay has one of those devices in his home. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and you can also set up a Mycroft with these. There's like three different, uh, the three different systems. You can set up the Mycroft to run the voice controls. Oh, that's neat. What do you plan to automate? Lights. Okay. Uh, I, I want to cook, hook up a couple cameras and then, um, uh, like water sensors and stuff and temp sensors. Very cool. But it'll be like slowly adding. Yeah. yeah. Things. Well, it's, it's all iterative and slowly built over time. And you, next thing you know, how do I build this complicated monster of, yeah. <laughs> Although I, I found this website, I should look it up. I'll put a, uh, a link in the notes that it's it's something like homeautomationuniversity.com or something. Okay. And there's a guy, it looks like it's a single guy that's that put this website together, but he's done a lot of uh, research in, um, into the different systems and stuff, and uh, it, it's really cool. I've thought about it, um, not at my home, because I still have one kid left at home that will turn the lights on and off for me. But uh, here at the office, I wouldn't mind having something that automated some of the studio functions, turning them on and off. So I've definitely – it's something I've been thinking about doing. It seems like yeah. a fun little – that the the lights on and off at home, i still got one kid to do it. It's the most expensive IoT thing you can get. So <laughs> yeah, have, we'll, have a kid to turn the lights off, not cheap. <laughs> right. You can you could set rules that if there's, like, no motion for 10 minutes, then it shuts all the lights off. Oh, neat. And, uh, and a lot of different things like that. When when you uh, walk out the door, like, at a certain point, at a certain time, if uh, there's no motion in the, the house, it'll automatically lock the front door. 
Yeah. Oh, that's that's you, a cool. All feature. those, yeah, they have really good. Actually, he said one. Uh, if you have a kid that gets up early all the time, mm-hmm. you set uh, you set it so whenever there's motion in the morning before like a certain time, seven thirty or yeah. whatever. If they're moving around before then, then it's blue light, and if they oh. and after seven thirty, you can go to white, and then you teach the kid that if you see a blue light, you need to go lay back down. That's actually kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, because kids, my, I mean, my kids always have this problem where they don't realize what time it is. You know, even they they know how to look at a clock and see that it's 6 o'clock. But, but it's time but, to wake up dad. <laughs> yeah, why isn't anybody else up yet? <laughs> right. Because they're not full of energy anymore like this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. So that's been my uh, my fun the last few days. Neat. How about you, Tom? So uh, we did some big projects and, and filled a warehouse with uh, Wi-Fi, and that was that was interesting because mm. uh, it's all all the Wi-Fi's are mounted about forty feet above the ground because of uh, that. So we had to use fun scissor lifts, and I'm always scared going up on those, which I usually don't. I was only up there to test the fiber, and so that was one little side project that turned really interesting. Other than that, I've uh, updated my car a couple times for speed, and you know you you can just download speed updates with tesla now so because thanks elon <laughs> so now the car is faster than when i bought it what? and the zero to 60 time is now down to three and a half seconds on the car which was four and in terms oh, of it was car four? it was four seconds and now it's wow. like three and a half and from a car standpoint that's actually a pretty significant gain that's a lot of uh you could feel the g-force <laughs> yeah so I, I think it's just kind of neat of course all the l- little updates and uh, fun stuff that comes with the car it also has stardew valley on it now so has what stardew valley ever play that game that's pretty cool oh, can you no. play it multiplayer with the other teslas <laughs> <laughs> that's probably coming in an update <laughs> <laughs> so that that was kind of cool there's all these little things they had oh it also uh, saves clips when you blow the horn because it, uh, it records all the cameras and that so there's all kinds of little stuff that is just kind of novel that it does um tech wise though that's uh well, my daughter moved out, and how is that tech-related? Well, you know, she's 18. She decided to get her own place, and we built a gaming room. So uh, now I have uh, – well, we're not done with it yet. And by the way, for anyone listening to this, if, if you care, uh, Office Max has gaming uh, desks on sale cheaper than Micro Center, cheaper than Amazon uh, even. Hmm. So I ordered one from there, so that's the only thing waiting to get that project done. And we have a couch with USBs on it. So What makes it a gaming desk? Uh, they're those – uh, like larger platform desk, and the entire top of it is a mouse pad, like the entirety. It's like that soft oh. fabric, and it's uh, spill-proof. They're actually kind of mm-hmm. cool. We we have, like with the other gaming setup, uh, just a big mouse pad, like one of those huge, stupid big ones. Um, and it's kind of neat because it's also machine washable, so you can take the top of the desk off, essentially, and clean it and put it back on. Oh, yeah. So it's been one of the little tech projects I did. Uh, other than that, a lot of cranking out of videos and building of fun servers and everything else. It's all, all that's on my YouTube channel. And right behind you is about a $20,000 TrueNAS server I'm going to be reviewing. Ooh. That's got a whole lot of flash drives in it. It's all boxed up, so we can't see it. Yeah. But it's a pretty nifty-looking box. It weighed like 250 pounds. So when they yeah. delivered it, the, the person delivering it was like, I can't lift this. And we're like, you don't have to. We're going to take care of it. They were they thought they had to carry it. And we're like, no, 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 oh. no. She, she was not very big. She was rather petite. She's looking at that box going, you guys don't have a 
dock. <laughs> it was wrapped on a pallet and everything else. But Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So they freighted it to you? Yeah, they freighted it to us. Wow. Which is also kind of funny. We were confused why that customer was there because it's one of our transportation clients is actually who delivered it by pure coincidence. <laughs> so really? we thought they were there for something else. So oh, yeah. there was this confusion of why they were there. Like, we have a delivery for you. Yeah, just set it on the desk here. Because they, they actually use their delivery drivers to drop off computers all the time. <laughs> They're like, no, no, we have something too big for me to lift. And that that's why all the confusion went on there. <laughs> um, other than that, I did some new PF Blocker videos. And I got to do another one because the folks over at MaxMind, uh, if, so if, you're, if you're a fan of PF Blocker and you're using it, you'll have to do an update because the people at MaxMind no longer give away their database without a registration for the GUIP information. Yes. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that change has uh, caused quite a stir in the community of people angry that things aren't free sometimes um but it doesn't just drop off does it you just lose your guip you it won't update yep, anymore it, it well, just it stopped update. stopped yeah. updating yep it stops updating so okay um and well and that's so you think you know ip addresses and there's certain ones for the u.s certain ones for china mm-hmm. and blah 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 but it's actually a good thing to have that updated because uh now with the scarcity of ipv4 yep they are countries or, or corporations within Different countries are swapping IP, so selling their watch real time, isn't it? Yeah, and it's something that you need to get updates for to to know. You know, well, that's no longer in the U.S. That's somebody over in the I'm, Czech Republic. I think we may have covered it here, but Microsoft had a real hard time with Azure because they were, so to speak, late in the game with some of their data center stuff, and they realized that they wanted large blocks of IPs. They had to buy them from other countries. Really, and. Uh, um, it actually caused them to be on block lists because of old firewalls, because it would have country or GUIP blocking. And they're like, hey, this is uh, some Ukraine IP block or whatever it was, some former Soviet block ones. And they're like, yeah, Microsoft bought all those and moved them in Azure. They're all located in the U.S. now. So, yeah, yeah. so it is important to have that up to date. Um, but I think that's it. I don't. I, hmm. I probably did a lot of other things. I just can't remember what it was. Mostly, honestly, it's been the most mind-numbing moving from Windows 7 to Windows 10 for every client. We have medical clients that in December 20th were asking for bids on doing it. I'm like, you guys realize you're out of HIPAA compliance in like, oh, I don't know, four weeks. And no, I don't have time to switch 300 computers for you in less than four weeks. <laughs> oh my Which, gosh. by the way, you're taking bids, not saying go. You're not saying, can you start on December 21st? You're like, can you put in a bid for this? That's terrifying, Tom. Oh, gosh, Yes. We just had we, – we've got most of our managed clients that had no problem switching over, but all these one-offs that are still coming in, as a matter of fact, as of the day after, um, they were leaving us voicemails. Like, oh, we just found out. Like, no, you didn't. We told a dental office, we told them we were out of compliance a year ago when we were upgrading stuff for them. They wouldn't upgrade then, and they're bringing them in Monday now. <laughs> and that would make it on, what, January 6th. So they have 12 days to get compliant. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So – that's been there. There's a stack of like 20 more 480 gig SSDs because part of our processes pop out a hard drive with an SSD and upgrade Windows 7 to Windows 10 on the same computer essentially. Mm. And there's stacks and stacks of SSD. There's like there's like a hundred SSD boxes opened and installed all over the place in the floor in there in the other room. <laughs> <laughs> we have bought so many and we've been buying them in bulk. So <laughs> there's that. Uh, anyways, enough babbling. What's up? So, I had I had quite a long break. Um, we had a nice work break, and this month that we haven't done the podcast, and I feel like I've done so many things and also had so much time off, but I don't feel rested at all. Hmm. So, I gotta I gotta figure out what I want to set my priorities on. 
Um, but anyways, here's some of the cool things uh, that I did. Um, we we traveled out of state to go visit uh, my wife's family, and I got to hang out with uh, my niece and nephew. And they were they were trying to watch YouTube on their at their house, um, play Fortnite, uh, just browse the internet, and the network was so slow, and they kept getting all of these different ads despite having like an updated Chrome or Firefox and uh, ad blockers and uBlock Origin and all of that. So I said, well, let's do a project. Let's get a Raspberry Pi and install Pi-hole on it. Uh, so I, I took the kids to Micro Center. We bought, we bought a Pi uh, 4, just the one gig of RAM, just yeah. basic Pi. Um, bought an SD card. It's an excellent Pi hole. Yeah. Uh, my my niece got to do all the hardware side of things, putting uh, putting the pie in the case, putting um, the heat sinks on, and then my nephew got to do all of the software side of things, like DDing uh, Raspbian onto an SD card. And I'm, I made sure to do this because they'd never built computers. Um, they they've never gotten that much into software other than installing Minecraft mods and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. I, I led, and they did the actual hands-on work, um, and it was pretty fun. And at the end of the night, uh, they had a functioning uh, DNS black hole server from Pi-hole, and their network was just a bit faster, and they could play on their phones and not get ads. They could watch YouTube, and some of the ads were gone, and that was, that was really nice. Um, and then for a Raspberry Pi project at home, uh, one of our friends gave us this, this mirror uh, and he, he built the frame out of walnut, and inside of the mirror is just a computer screen. So it's technically a magic mirror. Ooh. And he, he put a Raspberry Pi inside of, this, uh, inside of this device, which is running a piece of software called Magic Mirror. And I set up a calendar on it. I set up a Google Maps so every day before my, light, my wife leaves for work, she can see... Um, traffic on the road without having to check her phone nice. it'll show us the weather and a whole bunch of other kind of stuff um and we'll get some pictures of that soon but that was that was a really nice build and the software's pretty interesting too i bought this raspberry pi it's a pi 3 i bought it two years ago to build that same project well <laughs> it, it's not the project's not without its rough edges um but just from participating on github uh the developers of it are very very active i was in an email chain last night at 1 a.m and all right that that was pretty nifty um some other things that i did uh my my volumio radios they can connect to Spotify, they can connect to web radio, but sometimes when I walk into the shop, I just want to send music or pro- podcasts from my phone to them. And by default, that's a paid feature of Volumio. And that costs anywhere from 35 bucks to 70 bucks, I think, a year. And that's not much. It supports a project, but I'm yeah. not made of money. Uh, so what I did was I, I said about... Um, figuring out how to do this with just standard Unix utilities, because I assume this is what Volumio would do when you pay them some money. Yeah. Um, through a whole bunch of different forum posts, I found a way to install a Bluetooth connection for, for ALSA, which is what Volumio uses, and then I could send all this music and 
podcasts and stuff from my phone mm. to these devices. It's not the best, and it's a lot of manual work, but I did automate it with some Ansible. So anytime I build a Lumio server, I can just run some code against it, and it will set up this stuff for me. Yeah, all right. Um, and then I switched over uh, our our home cloud from using Docker to using this uh, tool from Red Hat called Podman. And Podman is just a, it's a container runtime. Um, it doesn't run as root, unlike Docker. Uh, mm. It's not a single point of failure. Um, and it comes with out-of-the-box support for SE Linux, which, which I really like. And then they have another useful tool called Utica that helps with building SE Linux um, policies for any random container. Mm. And it's, it's not just for Docker, and it's not just for Podman. And I thought that was really interesting, too. So if you're, if you're in the market to switch from uh, just standard containers to Kubernetes or something, Podman can help ease that transition. All of the Podman commands are identical to Docker commands, which is a pretty easy transition as well. Um, and overall, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that project. Development is also... Uh, ongoing and responses on GitHub are really quick too. And then I think the last thing I did was I had, I have this phone application um, and it doesn't, it doesn't work. I get to the login page. I, I start typing in my credentials and they don't go anywhere. Um, so then I got to thinking, well, how can I, how can I get uh, packets from my phone um, and view them in Wireshark or something? So I, I set up on this laptop uh, that's in front of me um, just an access point. I used host APD uh, for host access point daemon, and then I assigned a DHCP range with DNS mask, and then I was able to connect my phone to this uh, temporary access point. It got assigned a DHCP request, and then I ran Wireshark collecting packets on that interface. So then in this phone application, I was able to uh, test a login, capture the packets, and send them off to a developer um, who I've yet to hear back from. But that was pretty cool. Uh, that's, I think that's the first time I've ever tried debugging an Android application over the wire. Um, two other options. You can actually do some, if you load zero tier, you can uh, set some routing up on there on your phone. You can do it that way. Uh, you can actually mirror it and do burp suite. So you can tie things on there to okay. gather all that. Another alternative, too, is you have PFSense. And PFSense can do packet capture based on an IP. It's uh, packet capture is built in, and it, it produces PCAP files. Oh, that's very interesting. That's, that would yeah, have that saved me, thought. like, a good 45 minutes. Yeah. It's actually um, one of the things we do a lot. We built one for my friend Xavier because he does uh, a lot of pen testing work and application uh, bug reporting. So we built him a RAID array ZFS um, and this is all supported right natively in PFSense. So he's got 1.5 gigs of or, uh, terabytes of storage on his PFSense in a RAID array so he can do massive packet captures. But it will let you filter it to even right down to the port so your PCAP file can be small. Or if you need to just see all the traffic, you can grab it. But you can filter it by IP uh, instead of capturing your entire network. So it's pretty. Uh, it's under diagnostics for um, packet capture. I, I wish I would have known about that 
that that would have been so easy. But going this host APD and DNS it's mask also a route, great learning experience. Yes, it was, and I can think of plenty of nefarious things to do with this. Oh yes, yes. You're, you're part way to building your own uh, Wi-Fi pineapple. So. <laughs> and then uh, we we sent out a ton of Christmas cards, and I exchanged stickers with a couple of listeners. And oh, great! That was that was a bunch of fun. Um, other than that, we'll get to our resolutions uh, in a couple minutes. Yes. Lots of so many resolutions posted on Twitter. I thought it was a DNS server. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, right. let's move Enough on with to the dad humor. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to listener emails. I'm sure we have quite a bit of them. Mm, do we? Actually, no. Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I don't see them. You know what? I did get an email from George from Tulsa. I want to say hi. Thanks for emailing us. And uh, he said he was trying to donate to us through the PayPal button on the website, and it, it wasn't broken. working. Weird. And I was going to look at it, and then I got busy with the holidays and haven't looked at it. So I'm sorry, George. Um, can they send it to show at SMR? Is that a registered PayPal address? It is not. I mean, we, I can configure it to send it anywhere. Um, set up, so. uh, and we'll, we'll get this set up. Um, go into the PayPal. There's a way you can set up. It's called PayPal.me. So for example, if you go like PayPal.me slash Lawrence Systems, it lets people donate any amount. It's a free service from PayPal, and ah. you just create what you want the URL to be, provided it's not taken. Hopefully not SMLR is not taken, but I'm sure right. Sunday morning Linux review all spelled out is not taken. But then you can just link to it, and it just – drops them over on PayPal and makes it easier to do. Oh, yeah. So something else that uh, George mentioned was that um, maybe someone in the audience who's skilled at web design or web development could help us uh, rebuild the website because I think we're just a bunch of administrators. Yeah. So we can mm. deploy it all night and day, but I can't design a stick. Yeah, I. it's not my core that I do anymore. I spent 10, 15 years ago I did web design, but I'm way outdated on it. Matter of fact, mm-hmm. um, something I actually did was sell my web company late last year. So I think oh. I, did, I think did that in December. So I don't think I've done this last time I talked to you guys. We shut down our web development. Well, we didn't really shut down. We moved it over, including the people that worked for it, and moved that somewhere else. Yeah. So it's been that's actually a good transition. It was a business-focused decision of this is unfocused and – <laughs> mm-hmm. So my, I don't have a developer at work for me anymore, so I don't have anyone to lean on to do the work. <laughs> and I ain't doing it. Uh, it would look well, bad. Yeah. I mean, it's not that hard with, with WordPress to figure out. Just choose a different uh, theme yeah. that looks yeah. more updated. So uh, well, It could be a little wider. It could be a responsive design. It's just a matter of mm-hmm. finding a good template. But even when you find a good template, it takes time to put it together and make it act- and debug all the little CSS quirks. If someone really wanted to do it and had the time, cool but we do run the show on donations therefore um we can't pay a good web developer to do it <laughs> right but we do have tons and tons of stickers left over um the the new and improved oh, yes. uh sunday morning linux review coffee mug sticker mm-hmm. uh, where the steam coming like out of it. it is little tildes yes yeah um so if it's all about the details yep uh and if you would like some of those by all means uh just send us an email to show at smlr.us. And That'll get some feedback. Yep. <laughs> and if you want multiple stickers, GPG encrypt an email to us. Um, you can probably find 
uh, my GPG key floating around there on the internet, or just email us and ask. Yeah. Well, you have it. You have it registered on the GPG I have mine server. On Keybase. Key server? Yes, I do. Uh, I'm on. I have it on Keybase as well, and uh, the MIT key servers. Yeah, mine too. Yeah, Keybase has been my favorite. They that is such a great project. They've really updated it a lot. Mm-hmm. All right, is that it for sure? I didn't. I honestly so, didn't see yeah, I, I I was uh, pretty incorrect there when I said we probably have a whole bunch of feedback. Well, there was a whole bunch of spam and yeah, that's I think we I got four names. people saying that that uh, for a fee they would update our websites, but I just ignore them. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and there's quite a few people that keep on emailing us wanting to know if we want to do sponsored uh, posts, and we're no. like, no. Not now, not never. Yeah, there's. it's the same thing even with my YouTube channel. I made a decision early on. I get a lot of requests to, can we pay you for this video? I'm like, no, mm-hmm. no, That's uh, that would make me biased and spammy. And, yep. You know, we, we do this. We're just a bunch of uh, geeks like to talk about stuff, and it, because we have decent jobs, we can do this on a Sunday Granted, we don't do it on a regular schedule as much as maybe people like, but we do it, and I get we still get thank yous. I love this. I send us feedback in this. Send us those thank yous because it does make us feel uh, good when people say, "I love that." There's a podcast that doesn't have thirty ad inserts <laughs> for a mattress because <laughs> <laughs> that is that is true. That and I get it. They do have to make a living because they make it their full time job. Yeah, but we're we're admins. We don't have time to lay on a mattress. We're too busy sitting at a desk hunched over or Look, on the couch. I'll take a nap once I'm over <laughs> seventy. I think. <laughs> yeah. Plenty of time to sleep when I'm older. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We got to go to the distro news now? Yes. Distro fever. Been right. so long since I typed it, it was uh, it didn't autocomplete. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a, a very, very cool one for me is the release of Cubes 4.0.2. Um, if if you stay up to date on your cubes updates, you already have everything that's in this release. Um, but what this one does is set uh, Fedora 30 as the template VM Debian 10, Hunix 15, and uh, the Linux kernel 4.19 as the default. All right. What yeah. else we got? There's Farin. Have you guys heard of that one before? Uh-uh. F-E-R-E-N. And yeah, and it is uh, uh, Linux Mint based, but with KDE Plasma running. And that's interesting. I hadn't seen that one before. Parted Magic, that's a great recovery utility. Mm-hmm. We don't have as many recoveries as we used to do. Um, you just kind of reload Windows. That's been for our retail customers. And Linux doesn't crash as much, but <laughs> it's still nice to have those up to date on the uh, one-offs where we do need them. Do you see uh, en- Endeavor OS has a release? Ooh, rolling lease space and Arch. Well, remember, who was, uh, what was that distro that closed down uh, this year? And uh, then people were clamoring to, uh, that wanted to keep it running. Um, what's that, uh, Arch Bang? What is the appeal of Arch? Is it just having bleeding edge all the time? Uh, it's to tell people that you use Arch. That's like I get the jokes about it, and anything, that's more than anything else. Is it's the most memeable Linux? It, uh, well, if you're into tweaking knobs, I think Arch is the. I mean, uh, other than Linux from scratch, Arch is the next like one that you can. So like, Arch tweak is for people really well. that Linux from scratch was too hard, but but, but Debian based ones or Ubuntu based ones are too easy. So 
Okay. It's your subclass. I get it. <laughs> Pick your Linux subclass. It's like, it's how these games start. <laughs> yeah. I do, I, you know what I do appreciate? I see a lot of younger people using it. And anytime I see younger people using Linux, people without gray hair using Linux, people that will eventually have gray hair using Linux because, well, it'll cause you to go gray sooner. <laughs> but um, it makes me happy when I see younger people uh, in general using it. Because I know this was a comment, um, I think Michael Lucid, Michael Lucas and a few other people talked about going, every time you talk about BSD, you see a group of people that are all over like 55 and 60. And they're like, yeah, we're trying to find a young developer. And it makes me worry about any project. Uh, you look at the developer, not that I don't want a mature coder who's been coding a while, but at some point you want the young people to be involved and you're like, yeah, the demographic is really skewed on this. Yeah, what's the BSD version of Hannah Montana Linux? Yeah. How do we get that <laughs> to the that? youths of today? Yeah, how do we get it there? So uh, so it, overall, I'm not going to hate on Arch too much because it does seem to be very technical people. It does, and some people want to dive right in. I want to try something really hard. I'm, I'm in college, and this seems like a really more difficult way to get in because Linux from scratch was confusing. <laughs> and, uh, it makes sense, and I guess that's why those people get memed, um, which makes sense. <laughs> And younger generations like memes, older generations are like, what are you young whippersnappers posting these pictures with words on them for? <laughs> Back in my day, we just yelled RTFM. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's uh, Antegros. It was Antegros. Antegros. That, uh, okay. And so they're Endeavor gone now? OS. Yeah, Antegros closed and then um, uh, Endeavor picked it up. I don't have, because I didn't do any subjective analysis, but I can tell you that the end of December from the 20th till now, very few package updates. You know, um, and I think there's just not a lot of development, so we don't have a lot to talk about for de the December distro watch because I, I think a lot of people um, take time for the holidays, take time mm -hmm. to uh, wind down, go to all the different holiday parties. So I don't think there's as much development going on. So um, there's not as much news in that. But just in general, like I said, there's I, I didn't see many of the uh, many updates. But that makes sense. Uh People have to have lives. We can't all just slam away at a keyboard all day updating packages. Well, or if, can we? Or can we? So this would be, if anyone has uh, someone who's done this or someone who's really good at like GitHub analysis and can do this over time, I, is this a showing of the mature of the Linux base of coders? Because before, you used to get frequently updates because it was a hobby project that we worked on our time off of work now that mm -hmm. people do uh, dev work like this full time do we now see normal trends where uh, nine to five is when we see code commits and everything else versus um it's a weekend warrior project because for a long time i was shocked to find out some of the well like when the open ssl bugs came we found out like this guy maintains it like just him <laughs> yeah. or when the time project had problem or when we found out that uh, eric raymond didn't have a had a, his computer died and then updates didn't happen. You're like, wait a minute, a functional part of the repositories aren't happening because one guy's computer broke. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was pretty bad. Yeah. So there's um, and System seventy six, if you didn't know, has uh, reached out and bought computers for Eric Raymond. They give him some of their flagship stuffs because uh, he's doing a massive migration from uh, some type of old code bases to new code bases and refactoring stuff. He's He's got a couple of big projects he's been working on, mm. and he's using one of their Threadripper-built high-end machines to help rebuild all this code and debug it and everything else. Nice. Um, so that's it's always nice, and he's big on passing the torch, huge on it. Um, had some fun conversations at the last PinguinCon with him. So... Mm. If you are young and want to pick this up, it's not as hard as you think. It's a lifelong passion, for sure. <laughs> Speaking of picking things up, um, let's get into uh, our our DNS resolutions. Oh, um, yeah. Oh. So uh, over the break, um, 
I decided that I want to learn Golang in any capacity whatsoever. Maybe it's to replace some of the shell scripts that I've written, maybe it's to replace utilities that I've built, or just write a Golang program from scratch without having any sort of uh, shell code um, that I can pull uh, previous experience from. And so to get on um, with, with that goal, uh, I was able to write some tests for the Golang um, OCSP uh, crypto Ooh. code. Oh, cool! Um, and just expand some tests there, and that was that was a pretty fun and difficult experience, but mm. experience nonetheless. Very cool. How about you, Tony? Uh, I resolve not to resolve. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. No, you know, I mean, the typical things, you know, like eat healthy and try to lose weight and not sit for 10 hours at a time for work. Yeah, that those are, I, I think not enough people think enough about that, but um, as especially me and Tony both reached that over 40 mark, I, yeah. we, you think more about it. You're like, yeah, <laughs> I should, I should do a little more. Actually, I went walking um, over by Phil's place at Crossman's Marsh. Uh, I went for a six-mile walk yesterday, so. That place is beautiful. It is. A wonderful place to walk. Phil's mm. lucky it lives, like, walking distance from Crossman's Marsh almost. <laughs> I need to get over there. I haven't been there yet. Great place. Great place. Where, where I grew up, there was marshes all over the place, and I never really thought of them as, like, a beautiful thing. You're like, that's but... where the car gets stuck. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And me if I walk in them. <laughs> Um, yeah, I have, uh, tried to focus on reading more books. That's always like a overarching goal. Mm -hmm. And I'm not taking a break from my business, but rethinking my business. So I hired more people, uh, with an absolute goal of automating my company. So it involves, it's, it's been something that's been going on for a couple of years. Um, but I was actually, I, I got a really good comment from the former CEO of a company I used to work for on Facebook. Someone asked when I took a picture of an install we did, someone says, how many Wi-Fi units are this, that? And I'm like, honestly, I didn't bid it or install it. My company did. And he commented already, he goes, that is the best answer. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's a goal I've been reaching that I have less and less involvement in certain aspects of my company. That way I can focus on uh, content creation. Uh, YouTube was an awesome. I did a recap video on my channel. Like YouTube was really kind to me in terms of money and monetization. Uh, and I'm like, okay, it, this is cool. But I also love the best things that happened to me were college kids who came up to me going, you helped me through my computer science class. Like your network engineering videos explain concepts that my instructor that I paid a lot of money to be here uh, couldn't explain. And I'm like, cool, how do I get more of that content out there? So I hear that. I went uh, to college for network administration and my wife taught me DNS on the job. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's a failure of myself or of college, but I'd like to say that my wife is pretty awesome. Mm, that yeah. is good. <laughs> and and uh, people have asked me if I'll if I'll put things behind a paywall like more in depth. I'm like, no, actually, I I, I want to focus on more the fact that I have a job that pays my bills that is kind as YouTube is me. It doesn't compensate me for the business. So what I'm trying to do is put more in content, but I'm still making it free. I'm still not being sponsored for videos. I don't want to be. I want to make it as accessible as possible to people because I had a ton of outreach last year uh, of people that said I helped them, helped them do this. And a lot of it came from some third world countries, which is kind of cool, where they said, we just don't have the, the, the license fees are unobtainable for us. Like what a, what things cost uh, com just because of the dollar conversion, they don't 
just discount their license fees into our dollars. <laughs> like a, a Microsoft fee is like half a month's wage for some of these license fees for some of this commercial software. So uh, XCPNG virtualization uh, was actually someone in Africa and Ghana and uh, went back and forth with them. They they said was they were able to build this whole community thing all based on tools I put together. That's mm. awesome. That made me happier than anything. Like awesome. I you know yeah. and that you know that's always like really cool to me. So uh, you said that you want to read more books. Um, is there anything that you have been reading? I've been I've been reading and listening to a ton of books. Oh yeah. Um, the one that I'm reading now, I'm about halfway through. Is called "The Obstacle Is the Way" by Ryan Holiday. It's okay. about turning um, trials into triumphs, and things that are difficult are difficult for a reason, and you should tackle them. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> one of the books I read a while ago that kind of was inspiring was some of the behind the scenes. It's the Elon Musk book. It's a couple of years ago. I may reread it. Uh, but I have a pretty long book list, which I need to republish. It used to be on my website, and my website got broken, and uh, I never fixed it. And I should put it up there. I have like I used to just collect all the books I'd read and put them on there. That way when people ask, I had to go to, like, go to thomaslawrence.com. I remember that books. list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, And I have a much updated list now. Um, i got to look. It's like I read some, some not technical stuff like Stephen Pinker or uh, Noah Harari has some really interesting books that are on philosophy, which is kind of cool. So, And they're very positive. Uh, so they, I don't know, fun stuff. But yeah, uh, in technical wise, there's always those same New Year's resolutions and goals of uh, do more of this and do more of that. So <laughs> learn the next thing. Uh, anyways, got off topic a little bit. <laughs> it's all right, though. No, it's cool. This is what geeks do when we're, well, we're still geeking out just in a slightly different way. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, you guys uh, doing, and this is somewhat related a little bit, are you guys doing PenguinCon? That part of your resolution? Do more panels at PenguinCon? I do have that as my literal resolution. Is to, I, I like oh, yeah. to, as much as I love YouTube and it does things at scale, I did a lot of panels last year at PenguinCon. It was exciting, and I'll do a few more this year because getting to interact directly with the crowd in a room is kind of fun. I will be doing a panel at PenguinCon. Yes. Uh, Michael Lucas is uh, asking for people for his sysadmin panel, too. That went really well last year, and I may be a participant Mm -hmm. in it. He's looking for people to give some uh, advice because it's morals and ethics of sysadmins, and uh, it is kind of an interesting topic where you thought something, but now that you're older, you realize something completely different. Mm -hmm. And passing that advice along to young people that want to be sysadmins because you'll find yourself in more awkward situations than you think, not from a technical standpoint, but from a do-I-report-this-person standpoint. Uh, yeah. How many uh, people does he want on this panel? Because I'm sure we could load this <laughs> panel. Right. Yeah. Um, he has the he asked the unachievable, um, but it, he did ask. Is he asked if he can get someone who's not a uh, white dude with a gray beard? <laughs> Which pretty much he's like. <laughs> I'm like, good luck. I said, there's. I mean, I I'm not saying they don't exist, but there are very few women in tech, so there's. It's hard to find. Um, experienced ones that also may want to do a panel it, that convergence. Oh yeah, for the, sure. The pool I can... is small. I'm not saying they don't exist, but there's very few of them. And then to go a step further, they want to sit at the front of the room with a bunch of people. <laughs> yes, we are looking for a unicorn in a haystack. Yes, because that came up in the in the discussion topics. Is uh, and I, I, this is something I um, the CEO of Huntress Labs, who's a personal friend of mine now. Um, one of the reasons he even calls it Hunter Slabs, he, he's he got more than three-quarters of his opsecting is uh, female. 
and mm. that's not by accident. He goes, "Design. We want. He has a zero tolerance policy for any BS." He goes, "You don't get a second day at work if I catch you doing something misogynistic or anything uh, like that with his work." He also, <laughs> first day of hire, he, you're told, "We aren't your family." Go home at five o'clock. He's got these rules that are great. Like everything that you see in these companies cliche saying, he's like, no, no, we're not your family. Five o'clock is your time. Go home and be with your family. Nice. We're a job. Yeah. <laughs> we don't bring personal issues here, et cetera, et cetera. We don't bring whatever your political biases are. They don't happen here hmm. or it'll be your last day. So yeah, yeah, cool. yeah. Fun stuff. Just All right. Speaking of PenguinCon, uh, the request for presentations are uh, ongoing. Yep. And you have until February 15th uh, to submit. Yep. All right. Six weeks. Six weeks. Yeah, that's six weeks away. Wow. Okay. I think about that. Yeah. It's all coming up, and all this discussion was being had on a couple of forums. So, oh, man. All, all right. Trying right. to jump in the news? Yeah. We covered everything else. Who wants to go first? Uh, yeah, you can go first since you're at the top of the right. notes. <clears throat> I'll get you guys' opinion on this. I do like WireGuard. WireGuard sends out latest patch revision, preparing for Linux kernel 5.6. So this is awesome. Yes, it is. Yes. Now, but my still opinion on WireGuard is I'm reserved on it uh, before I run and protect my clients with this. And a lot of people, we have a lot of site-to-site VPNs. Uh, we have a lot of Road Warrior VPNs where we have it set up on the customer's computers to get into their office because, well, don't expose RDP. Um, but that being said, it's I, I see so many people message me like, hey, can't you wait to switch all your clients to this? I'm like, yeah, after it's been code audited. I Definitely go out and test it. But when it comes to this, even if you go, there's a statement on WireGuard's website from the main dev. We have not been code reviewed yet. Until we are, don't even bother submitting a CVE. Just report the bugs on GitHub. Um, that's one of the statuses of it. So I think mainstream kernel will encourage that code review. But open... A VPN has gone through a code review. So I still, like, when I'm going to protect critical packets, I still trust OpenVPN, mm-hmm. although I do see the speed advantages where I guard, so I am excited about it. But uh, So it is coming. It is going to be in the kernel 5.6. And do you guys have any opinion against what I said? Because some people think I'm wrong or too tinfoil hat or it's so short it should be secure. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen that statement a lot. I'm like, I think the code review is less because OpenVPN is big um, and the code base is something like whatever – uh, one tenth the lines of OpenVPN, and yes, it got an it, it got an endorsement from Linus. He said, "Wow, beautiful code." That doesn't beautiful code and secure code are are not one and the same. They're <laughs> code yeah. auditing and security researchers. I think for hobbies and for uh, testing, I think it's awesome to to get into it, dig into it. But yeah. for production, I think that's uh, dangerous. Yeah, I especially because if you wait or if you want to use it. Uh, in kernel 5.6 instead of just building from source and installing it that way well then you also have to deal with the new problems of the new kernel yeah um that being said when tony and i played with uh wireguard at the ohio linux fest it took us what maybe like 30 minutes 40 minutes to get it up and running and it was not difficult at all yeah most of that was just learning how to even do the job not setting up the software yeah that's learning from scratch of what is what does a configuration look like uh then compile it install it and then get the two talking to each other now if you if you did want to use this in production um cloudflare is doing it they have a product called boring ton hmm. um which is a wireguard based 
uh, VPN as a service that they offer. And a couple of the popular like privacy-oriented VPN providers, ones that claim to be privacy-oriented, I'm not going to endorse any of them, um, but they do, a lot of them are supporting uh, uh, WireGuard as an option, not just OpenVPN, which is cool. I mean, it's out there. And for protecting something like that to protect snooping from my ISP, sure, cool. I, I don't I'm not as worried, but when it comes to me and the packets that leave my computer to get to when I'm somewhere and I need to get into my office here, yeah, that's uh, that's the keys to the kingdom going through there. So I keep them all locked down. Yeah. So, all right. But it's cool. It's coming. It's definitely getting here, and I'm sure eventually it will be code-reviewed and code-audited and be very thorough. Now, even though we have people like Matthew Green who has gone through OpenVPN, we someone found – and this is one of those chain of events that occurred. Um, let's say I have an OpenVPN connection, and that OpenVPN connection, I move to a different, uh, because I'm on mobile, because I'm on a, a circuit that changes, and it keeps that connection established. Or I, I'm on Wi-Fi, and I plug into a hard line, that connection stays established to VPN. That little idea seems like a great idea. It was done almost two years ago, and then someone found in CVE... Uh, 2019-14899, and I've actually spoke, I did a video on this, and I've spoke directly twice now to the person who did the security research on this. It is a really obscure, but still interesting, because attacks only get better, not worse, um, attack on pretty much every modern system running Linux. And what they found is a way to redirect packets through a series of hammering away with um fake packets and getting your VPN to respond differently. So basically the concept is your VPN creates another adapter attached to your system and someone found a way to get information to leak out of it by giving a series of responses. It's a complicated mm. attack, but it's still an attack against VPNs um, when you're on the same network. So someone could hijack a firewall for this. Someone could be on uh, the local network and potentially do it. It's, it's kind of obscure, but it's still interesting. And, it affects all the VPNs, IPsec, OpenVPN, or really anything that attached an adapter. So probably WireGuard would be affected because I'm assuming it adds another adapter. It's Yes, it does. Yeah. So they did not test it with WireGuard, but undoubtedly that one would have been affected as well. Not a flaw on any of the VPNs. It's a flaw in the way uh, someone changed something to make it more convenient so you don't drop connections when they change. So you're basically spoofing the change that didn't occur to get the VPN to try and send traffic down the spoofed connection change. It's really obscure and kind of interesting attacks, but these are the type of things of why code auditing is so important and having people like this person who does security research poke away at things so we can understand. And it's, there's mitigations against it and things like that. So um, leave link in the show notes. So, to, you know, the news went wild with it and overblew it. New Linux vulnerability lets attackers hijack VPN connections. No, don't worry. Um, don't keep your tinfoil tight, but not that tight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it makes a great news headline. It's not as serious, uh, it, but it's still an interesting academic attack. Um, and if someone figures out a way to weaponize it further, well, that's a different problem. And all started with no nefarious things. It's just a, a matter of fact, I have a video where I link to the GitHub change and the reason why that change was made. Uh, and this is where changes happen after security audits where things <laughs> go crazy. Krita receives Epic Mega Grant. We don't use the word Epic Mega Grant enough in Linux, mm. but we should. The Epic uh, Epic, the makers of the Unreal Game Engine, have uh, supported Krita with a twenty-five thousand. I know, you guys, I buried it. I know. <laughs> Good play on words, Epic. Thank you for the twenty-five thousand dollar mega grant from Epic. <laughs> Krita's a, a image programmer. Oh yeah, 
Beautiful yeah. image program. I believe Phil's wife has used it for designing. Um, yeah, my nephew uses it um, to do anime artwork and that kind of stuff. There, and uh, we talked about on our last show, I believe, there's a couple websites now dedicated to people showing off what they created in Krita. So uh, hmm. it's definitely the community is growing fast. Uh, there's a lot of tutorials. I believe there's a lot of YouTube tutorials on there on how to use it. So uh, go to YouTube, YouTube, the wonderful University of, <laughs> and right. uh, you can do some learning on it. But it's a great program, uh, and it's uh, Libre-free, by the way, cross-platform, so you don't have to be a Linux user to fall in love with it. So that's kind of a cool thing. And, of course, these type of grants really help the coders and uh, bring, in, bring in product up to date. Below are the... 10 of the Ubuntu's most defining moments from the past decade. This is over on OMG Ubuntu. Ubuntu's Decade in Review, a brand new brand. So if you were using Ubuntu at the start of 2010, it would look something like this. And they have a series of screenshots that took me down memory lane. Oh, yeah. This, this <laughs> takes me back 10 I, years, in I, fact. <laughs> it takes me back 10 years, I know. Mm-hmm. You can't see how green my hair is, but trust me, guys, it's there. <laughs> I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> yeah, I know, it's just... Thinking about this, 2020 marks my 25th. My first tech job was in 1995. So 25 years of working in tech. So, and 10 years of Ubuntu. Uh, there's so much history in it, and I'm not going to dive through every little piece of it, but, you know, all the window button controversy. I remember that, man. The far left, why is it on the wrong side? And it, it's not the wrong side. That's an opinion. You guys just love Microsoft too much. Mm-hmm. They decided it should be on the other side, and people lost their mind. And I remember that discussion. <laughs> oh mm-hmm. yes on the edge ubuntu one the smartphone the shopping controversy oh yes when oh, you used to have amazon yeah. affiliate results i saw it referred to as amazon gate amazon gate yeah. we put their gate everything we're in the u.s so every controversy put gate at the end of it um anonymizing data the first ubuntu phone which we can follow up they probably don't say it but there was the last ubuntu phone not long after that <laughs> that was short-lived but there's one there the 32-bit saga that was the yes steam vented is what people called it because people are angry because steam wouldn't work with the 32-bit support missing or something <laughs> home sweet gnome we went from creating that crazy interface until the 10th year of back to gnome Back to its roots. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a fun read. It's a, it's way longer than we're going to read on the show. Could do a whole show about the 10 years of Ubuntu, but they have a good write-up there, so if you want to do some reading. Now, speaking of Libre phones, I thought Purism, I don't know how real this is, but boy, is it fun. Purism announces a $2,000 Libre 5 USA phone. It's the same Libre 5 phone, just made in the USA. So it has the USA price tag on of what it costs to actually make something in the USA. Because there's all these concerns. If you make a free phone and it's not made in the U.S., can we trust it? No problem. We'll build all the silicone and everything right here in the U.S., but it costs you two Gs. Not. It would be interesting to be an early adopter of this, assuming that I came into a windfall of $2,000. Yes. Um, By the way, the phone's a brick, dude. The phone's big. Like, mm. it is it is not a slim phone by modern standards. So um, that didn't change with the U.S. or the non-U.S. version. It's thick. <laughs> So it was kind of a cool, I think it's a cool exercise in um, lessons of trying to let people know, because everyone says, well, if you made it in the U.S., we'd buy it. And I don't think so. We'll have to see how the sales actually go if this product comes to market. But uh, needing concepts is a good discussion point. Um, at some point, though, you do have to kind of trust the hardware, because no matter where it's built, there are different safeties in place by uh, checking systems. But, yeah, definitely interesting. Um, the open book project. So speaking of reading books, 
Uh, I so yeah, Tony mentioned there are some e inks out there, but I haven't seen a nice complete project, and that would require what this person is uh, working on is a complete printed circuit board with an e ink reader, so it's in the convenient tablet like format that you would get with a Kindle, but without that nasty DRM that you would get from a Kindle. So, and this this project, they have a picture of it on their GitHub page. It's really just a PCB with an e-ink reader on it. Yep. You can touch the bare metal or silicon if you wanted. Yes, which is kind of cool. Uh, it, you know, it takes this and we can 3D print cases for it, I'm sure. Um, but these are the concepts of where they start. And once again, I, you know, I love when I see hardware being developed on GitHub like this. It, it's just kind of neat. So it's like the... Um, you're getting to be directly involved. And this person's got a lot of documentation on there uh, of how he's done it, how he printed the circuit boards. Or, by the way, if you didn't know, um, there's a lot of open companies now that you can just submit designs and upload to, and they'll print your PCB board for them. That's what he's using. So this is kind of cool. Break down all the little details of what's in use on there, um, how much the parts cost. Like, he's got spreadsheets and everything on there next steps and i believe he's got a donation so he can donate to their project so i'm definitely going to donate to this because this is something i've been interested in uh, this is one of the reasons i don't use uh amazon i use downpour for my book purchases mm. um because that's one of the few places you can find cory doctorow's book he refuses because of the drm he said no problem you guys can publish my books you guys can have my books for free because they, they're free you can publish them as long as you remove the drm and amazon still he's got a whole one of his books he has a whole his fight with amazon in there which is a great fun breakdown um but i prefer books that are drm when i buy books i like to own them and not have to unlock them with the license fees that amazon yeah. even if you bought them you always have to go back to amazon to unlock them because of their format so that's why downpour is one of the places i use to get my audiobooks VirtualBox 6.1 debuts with Linux 5.4 support, accelerated video playback, and more. Um, VirtualBox is actually, I encourage a lot of people uh, to take a look at this. This is one of those things that um, the, the Oracle has not destroyed, or they, they did attempt to extract licensing fee if you add the proprietary plugins to it, so don't do that. They may extract, try, they'll send lawyers after you, because, um, mm. yeah, lawyers are the profit center for <laughs> Oracle. Anyways, uh, VirtualBox, the open source base, even though it is supported, it has actually gotten a lot of love from the Oracle, um, and they have keep cranking out new features. A lot of people don't know this as well. VirtualBox, um, you can run all of it from the command line, too. You can actually set up script and a lot of it as a good, solid hypervisor platform, but it does have a UI to make it easy to use, and tons of Linux projects have standard OVAs that you can download to start get started with them, so you can just load them up in VirtualBox, and of course, it supports everything as a platform, whether you're using uh, Linux as your host or Windows as your host and you want to try Linux. I like using VirtualBox for uh, testing my various software projects. Um, yep. I use Vagrant as a controller for it. So Vagrant will run all of the VirtualBox command line commands under the hood so you don't have to see them or mm. deal with them. That's cool. Now, that being said, you can't run VirtualBox itself on a virtual machine. Um, so if you want to do that, switch to using <laughs> LibVirt or something. Yeah. Well, you some things do support, like XCPNG will do nested virtualization, so you could build a thing and a thing like that. Um, you, as long as the hypervisor that you're putting it in does support nested virtualization. Ah, okay. That could so, be my problem. Yeah. Um, and it varies. I, I specifically know Zenser has no problem with nested virtualization, but not everything does. Uh, VirtualBox, I think itself, if I'm not mistaken, does not support nested. So you can't run VirtualBox in VirtualBox. Right. Yeah. Um, 
But VMware supports nested in Zen server. I can't speak for some of the other ones out there. Proxmox hmm. probably does because it's KVM, and I think KVM, not natively, but can be turned on, uh, has it. So it's just a checkbox in the Zen server, XCPNG software. But, yeah, it's it's actually a great project. And, and for those of you that don't have a lot of, uh, like, Tom and has some servers sitting in the back laying around, uh, VirtualBox <laughs> is actually a great way to learn because if you have a reasonably fast computer and you want to start learning some Linux or set up a little command line or an Apache server, like Phil said for development, load it on your Windows box. SSH into it. it. It even has a private network, so it doesn't natively have to expose everything. You can build even a whole series of virtual private networks in VirtualBox. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a series of tutorials I did on VirtualBox a while ago, and they're still relevant. They've updated the interface, but the same functions are there. They've just added more, like you know, accelerated video playback. That has been a hang-up. Uh, one of the things, if you didn't know, uh, frequently you had to uncheck the box uh, to turn off video acceleration when you ran VirtualBox on Linux. It just had a hard time. Mm. So I'm happy to see that these times are it's all built into the kernel now by the way too uh virtual box all the extensions are uh, native to after, after five something they're all native to the kernel oh that's cool i didn't realize that yeah you don't have to load uh, on linux you don't uh, windows you still load out drivers but on linux you do not so hmm. the it uh, just works uh caden live 19.2 uh, 19.12 is out and they've done all i've been using it for a little while since it was in beta now it's officially released which it came with a new bug that wasn't in the beta but almost when you go back to the beta but i'm working through it um the uh new features are outstanding it is really a powerful editor uh the major change to the interface is the way it splits the audio out into separate tracks so it gives it a different look uh but it's still a great project it's still how i edit uh now i'm just under a thousand videos on my web on my youtube channel now and over 900 of those were done with uh, Caden Live. So, <clears throat> excellent project. Uh, really happy. The progress has been really amazing. What started is some guy wanted to help his, I think he's wanted to help his wife out with some video editing, if I'm not mistaken. There's like a backstory they had in one of the live shows. Oh, yeah. Tom, that sounds like a fantastic case study that yes. they could do on, on your project. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... Yeah, it's uh, it's such a great uh, tool. They've got all kinds of sound mixers they built into it in the latest version too, which I only record single track. But if you have like a whole multi-track recorder, they now have individual master sound and master effects list, which is something that commercial video editors would use, like when they want to mix a bunch of things together, both different video sources and sound sources. They all broke down individual controls on it. That's in the screenshot, and it's cool. I, it's not a feature. People have asked me about it. I'm like, I just don't use it. I, I record single source, so just. Even when I record two people, right. I mix it before it gets there because it actually, it's a lot of work doing that. It's, uh, that's how I'm able to get a 1,000 videos is because I don't spend a lot of time mixing a bunch of audio sources together and lining them up. <laughs> so that was what I had for the news. The good um, news. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would like to mention that the Unbound uh, recursive DNS resolver um, mm. used by many many projects uh, out there on the internet, uh, Let's Encrypt being one of them, PFSense being another. Yes. Um, it underwent a code audit with funding from the Open Source Technology Improvement Fund, OSTIF. Hmm. Um, the audit was done uh, mid, mid-December um, by a security company called X41DSEC. Um, the scope was to locate bugs, weaknesses in design. Um, they did uh, manual code auditing, uh, dynamic analysis using um, custom fuzzing harnesses and static analysis, uh, TLDR, a total of 48 changes 
in Unbound uh, that either improve security or fix minor issues that could lead to uh, future security problems um, were done. Um, these updates came out in Unbound versions 1.94 and 1.95, uh, with a few of them being critical or high uh, CVEs, um, which, is, which is really, really cool. Yeah, uh, one of them was really interesting. One of the CVEs was uh, if you had an unexpected encryption certificate. So instead of the certificate, you could overrun probably a buffer overflow, I think is what they were trying to exploit. Um, it would then allow someone to potentially take over the unbound server. So instead of it getting a search, it got a code injection there. So that's a really interesting, and that's, that's obscure to find some of those. Um, good news is PFSense was not affected by this because uh, they, they don't have that compiled on for runtime because they don't use it. Uh, mm -hmm. I learned a little bit about PFSense. If they don't use it, they turn it off. They turn flags off all the time if it's something that they think they're not a use case for to keep the threat surface as low as possible. But it, it feels right it is natively compiled in all the other Linux, major Linux distros. Update. Well, you better have updated by now. It's, it's 2020. This was December. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, how about you, Tony? For news? For news. Uh, I grabbed a couple of the links that we were talking about earlier. Uh, I found the that uh, university link. It's called smarthome.university. Uh, No.com on it. It's uh, So the university is the TLD. And um, so that's really interesting. He has a lot of uh, really good information in there if, you're, uh, if you want to do any research or just reading up on home automation stuff. Uh, and he has a lot of good suggestions of either uh, basic setups that you can start with or, uh, uh, or or comparisons with different hardware and stuff. So it's really cool to look through that. And then I, I uh, threw in the link for the re-speaker. Very cool. Um, now, so it's the 4 microarray. I think they have a, a 6 microarray one also. Uh, and I, they have a 2 one. But uh, So the 6 mic, if I was looking at this right, is what they're putting into the um, uh, Mycroft 2 of this, the re-speaker, uh, but the 6 mic, it's it's a little bit bigger. and uh, So it's just kind of cool. I, I didn't realize it, but I'm pretty much building my own pseudo uh, Mycroft server. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Very cool. Yeah. But other than that, I didn't really have anything interesting uh, other than yeah. there's more more people getting hacked and oh. it, it's just i'm yeah. getting uh hack fatigue or what is it breach fatigue breach fatigue i think that's probably a real term um <laughs> you know we we started doing the we we tried to avoid um ransomware so we can talk about other things because we started the how they got hacked show that we're doing every friday which we we just had our 40th episode mm -hmm. um we realized that if we just covered i mean there's unlimited amount of news when it comes to ransomware and we could do a show every weekend this week in ransomware we could call it but we didn't um but right. yeah you get fatigued over some of it uh so we've been trying to it's because it was a low-hanging fruit so the first few episodes we did were too focused on that almost because like you said you can it is and it's so face palmy and everything else because so many of these attacks are obvious um and it's like oh guess guess who got ransomware i don't know like 20 people which one did mm. <laughs> there's a school district near us uh, yeah. just recently like uh, they're probably still under attack right now or, or trying to get it undone. Yeah, we don't even know if they're going to have but, school on Monday. So. Right. It's a, it's a real problem. Um, anywhere there's money, um, you're going to see more attacks. 
Mm-hmm. So we've been trying to do some deep dives into the more complicated attacks. Uh, like we broke down what happened with Wise, uh, the Wise cams, and that's what led me into what we talked about a little bit before the show. Me and Tony did is how they miscategorize, and the news is driving people to protect the wrong things because they. How many times do you hear about IoT? The problem is mm-hmm. IoT is less the problem once you eliminate firewalls from IoT. And I don't really like to consider firewalls IoT devices. Um, I think that's too generic. And once you eliminate right. them, because people spend a lot of times thinking, oh, IoT, uh, my toaster is going to be the vector of attack. No, you're going to click on a phishing email, focus on that. Uh, I actually tweeted out this morning is, you know, quit calling uh, every time someone guessed a password. They hacked the Ring doorbell. No, they didn't. They re- you reuse the same password for every account. It's not a hack. And if, you, if the news were to say uh, password reuse caused a lot of people to lose access to Ring doorbells, now, oh, I shouldn't reuse my password. You now have a better. Um, understand? No, I think we need to promote c- culture differently, and then yeah. educate the news people. But then there's the balance of clicks and news. Well, and that's the so the the doorbell, the ring doorbell mm-hmm. thing was the big one for this holiday season. Yeah, and uh, they said, well, they say it wasn't really a ta- or a hack. They said it was because of password, you know, password reuse. And it's like the news didn't believe. Uh, ring doorbell that that's what yeah what was the and it cost. doesn't make as good of a headline because people thinking it's insecure it's now a scary device and uh, one of my favorites which is a group of white hat hackers going around that are grabbing these passwords and logging into ring doorbells and talking to people um, there's one on reddit uh, you guys gotta watch this video it is absolutely wonderful a white hat gets in there and starts talking to the guy that owns ring doorbell and the guy says are you trying to hack me he goes no i'm trying to warn you he goes wow you're pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> and there's like this great moment uh it's it was on like reddit uh humans being bros or something like that hmm. uh it was a great back and forth because the guy recorded the entire conversation like three minutes long of him discussing with a homeowner he goes, yeah you reuse this password and he says what password was it and he says he goes yeah i use that password for everything <laughs> Just... oh. yeah <laughs> but I mean, the guy's a general person, you know, an average guy not working in tech who put a ring doorbell on his house. And this is actually, we have to think about how we make these devices for the general public. Um, we're not saying we're better or elite compared to the general public, just, just what we do for a living. So we think about it differently in context than someone who doesn't do this for a living. Right. So that's all. That's, uh, I was trying to figure out ways to promote that because. It's the moral of the story. <laughs> Use a password manager. You need yes. passwords for everything. Yes. The ring doorbell is why you need a password manager. There's like the, yeah. you know, and I'm bringing my kids up like this. I got my son using LastPass and it's, it, it's these slow progress like this. Uh, one password has a family plan. Exactly. Yeah. One password, Bitwarden. I really want to, really, because Bitwarden's open source, I really want to try it. It passed code review, by the way, if you mm. didn't know. And uh, there's a lot of people that run self-hosted instances of that if you self-host it and then VPN your stuff together, you don't even need to expose yourself hosting to it. So you become your attack service becomes very very small because one you're hosting it, two you're VPNing to do the syncing. So they would have to get by your VPN and then exploit a flaw in something that's been code vetted. So that is one of my I don't know it's not it's a resolution, but I really want to give it a try. I want to be able to trust um, and have the code and support an open source project, and I'll even donate to them like. I'll host it myself and throw money at him because I'm already throwing money at LastPass. I'll give them the money I would have thrown because I like to see – I like code being open. So. Yeah. Of course, that's why I'm sitting here, right? <laughs> and you guys do. <laughs> that's right. All right. We have rambled on. Uh, hopefully this long show makes up for the couple weeks of missing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've been recording for a while. <laughs> yeah. 
Yep. Uh, We're still recording, right? Yeah, an okay. hour, 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Uh, so, Phil, did you have anything else, or are we good to go? Uh, I just wanted to say uh, Happy New Year, and this is the Sunday Morning Linux Review Podcast, Episode 319, signing off. Uh, see you next time. See you next time. See you next time. And we hope next time is sooner. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thanks. You've been listening to the Sunday Morning Linux Review. If you would like more information about this or other shows, go to smlr.us. Feel free to send comments to show at smlr.us. I'm John Miller. If you don't like it, you can bite my 8-bit metal ass. That's bite with a Y. <laughs>